I'd like to uh, read to you today just a passage out of Paul's letter to the church at Rome, delivered to that church. He's written so many things, but this is especially poignant when it talks about the future glory. And I go to Romans, the eighth chapter, starting with the 18th verse, and this is what Paul writes. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory He will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who His children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse, but with eager hope the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from decay and death. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as His adopted children, including the new bodies He has promised us. We are given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us, believers in harmony with God's own will. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. For God knew His people in advance, and He chose them to become like His Son, so that His Son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, He called them to come to Him. And having called them, He gave them right standing with Himself. And having given them right standing, He gave them His glory. God's blessing on the reading of His Word this day. Amen. It was the 11th hour on the 11th day in the 11th month, 1918. And we celebrated the end of World War I with a treaty, a treaty that would end the war of all wars. And one year later, it was known to most Americans as Armistice Day. And together they remembered the sacrifices that men and women had given during the fighting of World War I. Soldiers who had survived that war were in parades, and they were at picnics and barbecues and ceremonies, recognizing their contribution to world peace and the freedoms that we so richly enjoy. Congress declared it as a national holiday in 1938, but unfortunately by that time there was already more unrest in the world, and most Americans realized that World War I would not be the last war. After the Second World War, which was certainly bloodier than the first, 
Armistice Day continued to be observed, and in 1954, Congress changed the name of the holiday to Veterans Day to include all veterans of United States wars, past, present, and unfortunately future. We honor those today who have served and sacrificed in the armed forces. We honor them past and present on this Veterans Day. In communities around the country yesterday, there were parades and ceremonies and speeches and barbecues recognizing and honoring veterans who have fought for the freedoms that we so richly enjoy. It has not always been that way. I served in an era in the military when it was not valued at all, and there was a rather vocal segment of our nation who reminded us of that. My baby boomer generation, caught in the throes of a rather unpopular political war in which veterans were neither respected nor honored. I remember night after night watching students my same age on college campuses across this country exercise their right of freedom of speech and hold marches against the controversial Vietnam War. Watched on the evening news as veterans who were coming back from Southeast Asia were escorted by police officers to keep the anti-war protesters away. And as they walked down the line of police officers, the protesters spit on them and called them baby killers. In many ways, returning home was a lot more damaging than the war itself. Veterans who had put their lives on the line for the service of their country were not welcomed home as heroes, but as outcasts. It was a time when it was hard to imagine why anyone would join the military, why anyone would want to serve this country. Because looking back, the only word for the nation's treatment of our veterans during that period is the word appalling. Yet we continue to serve, and we continue to defend the freedoms of this country that we enjoy every day. 9-11 changed so much in our nation, so very much, especially the perception of our military, because we had applied it to a faceless, militant terrorist-type organization who didn't value life whatsoever. In fact, they were anxious to kill all the innocents they could by driving airplanes into buildings and setting off bombs. And yet I stand here today before you. I stand in the wealthiest nation on the earth. I am free to attend the church of my choice and to practice freedom of religion. I am free to bear arms. I am free to vote for the leaders of my government. I am even free to write a letter to the editor when I don't care for what the leaders of my government say or do. I am free. And there are a lot of men and women who have fought and continue to fight this day for those freedoms because it's worth fighting for. Why do we enjoy these freedoms? 
because men and women in our armed forces understand the cost of freedom. Since the birth of our nation, brave men and women have stepped forward, weighed the costs, and in many cases chosen to lay down their lives in service to their fellow countrymen, regardless, regardless. You have heard it said before that the cost of freedom is not free. It is only made possible by the sacrifices, sacrifices of brave men and women who have gone on before us. Bunker Hill, Valley Forge, Gettysburg, San Juan Hill, the D-Day invasion on the beaches of Normandy, and the jungles of Vietnam, and now the desert of the Middle East. What does it mean to be truly free? How do we live lives of freedom in this nation or in this world? True freedom is self-mastery. And self-mastery means that you are mastered by something bigger, greater than yourself. True freedom is the opportunity to attain your goals in life, to achieve the purpose for which you have been created. And as Christians, all of us should understand that that purpose is relationship with God, fellowship with the Creator. Man is free only in God. In Him we live and we move and we have our very being. When God is in control of your life, you are free to be your true self. St. Augustine said it the best, love God and then you may do as you please. Love God and then you may do as you please. It doesn't mean you can do what you want. It means you can do what you please. And that is in the context of God and what He means to you in your life and how you live it. Make me a captive, Lord, and then I shall be truly free. There is no liberty without loyalty. Let me say that again. There is no liberty without loyalty. God sets us free to be loyal to Him, to be His children. In loving Him, we are freed from loving the cheap, the petty, the trivial, the foolish, the sinful in our world. We are freed from the bondage of corruption and sin. And we have glorious liberty as His children. True freedom, true freedom, my brothers and sisters, is freedom for right living. Not freedom from right living, freedom for right living. There's a beautiful proverb that is written, Proverbs 14.33, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach of the people. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach of the nation. We live in a deeply divided polarizing country, a deeply divided, polarizing world. And the only thing that I truly believe brings us back together is the love and the grace and the mercy that is Jesus Christ. 
Anything else we've tried has always failed. Anything else we've ever done has always fallen short. We come up with lots of ideas. But the solution that's always right in front of us, which is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, somehow we just simply want to ignore. And I truly believe that's the only way that we ever really achieve unity is the love in Him since God gave us the freedom first. The renowned historian and philosopher Arnold Toynbee, in his comprehensive work, The Study of History, studies 19 great civilizations in this world. 19. Yeah. 19. And he points out that only three of those civilizations were overcome by enemies from the outside. Only three. The other 16 of those great civilizations crumbled from the inside because of weakness, because of idleness, because of drunkenness, because of immorality. And that same kind of conclusion is reached by Edward Gibbon in his classic work, The Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire. He states that the mighty Roman Empire, the one that ultimately puts Jesus Christ on a cross, He states the downfall of that empire is because of the rapid increase of divorce, the belittling of the sanctity of the home, higher and higher taxes, the wasting of public money, the mad craze for pleasure, brutal gigantic armaments for war, a decline in religion, and a failing faith. I think if all of us are honored, or if all of us think about it, those same facets are a part of our country today and a part of our world. I don't think you can escape it if you look at it closely. It's all around us. And yet I'd like to tell you today that even with all those warts, even with all the things wrong, this is a great country with great promise. Our country is great, not simply because we have more land or more people or more resources. We've already learned that other countries can have more land or more people or more resources. That's not what makes us great. The greatness rests upon the faithful and responsible dependence upon God. The God who has made and preserved this nation from its very, very beginning upon the acknowledgement of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, endowed by the Creator, one nation truly under God. And certainly the phrase of in God we trust should be more than just simply a phrase on our coinage. It's who we are. It's where we came from. It's how we were made. Our founding fathers were smart men. They had their own sins. They had their own brokenness, but they were certainly smart men. And they decided that the greatness of this nation was the fulfillment and being an instrument of the mighty purposes of God. From the beginning, we were the fulfillment and the instrument of the mighty forces of God. They laid the foundations of the American way from the very beginning on Christian values and on Christian principles. You know, we can be many things to many people, and that's fine. 
that's good because I believe we are to love everyone as our neighbor. But all you have to do is go back into the history books and figure out where we've come from. And we were founded a cornerstone, if you will, on Christian principles and Christian values. That's exactly where it all started. That's where the greatness of this country truly comes from. The foundations of God. Our freedoms are not defined by the Constitution. They are not defined by the Declaration of Independence. And they are certainly not made in Washington, D.C. by Republicans, Democrats, or Independents. They come from God, folks. I truly, honestly believe that. I think the Founding Fathers truly, honestly believe that. And that's why they did what they did from the very, very beginning. Today, our country and our world faces perils of all the spiritual foundations that we have. Year by year, we read about the breakups of hundreds of thousands of homes and hundreds of thousands of families, the constant increase of horrific events that continue to take innocent lives. All I have to do today is mention two words to you, or three words depending on how you spell, Las Vegas and Texas, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. I don't have to say anything else. The escalating increase of drug abuse, sexual abuse, child abuse, the constant increase of crime, not only in our metropolitan areas, but in our rural areas. And the divisions that exist in this country and around the world because of the color of our skin or the personal agendas that we have. And I don't see God in any of it. I don't even see his name mentioned, and yet that's exactly where we were founded by our founding fathers, the cornerstone of God. Too often we pay lip service to God. That's all we do. We still worship the material goods. We worship the sensuous pleasure. We worship the sporting events. But we don't worship God the way we need to. In the end, we need to return to God's word. In the end, we need to return what brought us here, what established us here, what the foundation was. We need to get back to that which made this nation great from the very beginning. Our founding fathers were wise men, and they felt that the cornerstone of God was the best cornerstone they could use to build this nation. You know, the good news of the gospel is that this freedom, this power that we have is a gift from Jesus Christ, the Christ who assures us that the Son makes you free. And if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. His redeeming death and His victorious resurrection are the basis of our true freedom this day and every day. And it is a gift to us. To be a Christian is to accept that priceless gift with all of its privileges, with all of its responsibilities, to accept that gift. In the words of Martin Luther, he penned it best, a Christian is a perfectly free Lord of all, subject to none. A Christian is a perfectly dutiful servant of all and subject to none. 
to all. I never want you to be afraid of standing up for Jesus Christ. I never want you to hesitate to stand up and believe in the principles that this nation was founded upon, and that is the cornerstone of God. We can have love and grace and mercy, and we most certainly need those things. But I pray that all of you will always stand up for the freedom that you have in Jesus Christ, a freedom that he gave with his only life. Jesus, the only true free person who has ever lived. Today we honor our veterans, veterans who have fought and defended this country and its freedoms. But I want you to always remember where that freedom really comes from, that you are never truly free unless you are free in Jesus Christ. This day and every day until you see him face to face. Would you bow your heads with me, please?